Hello, and welcome to the Am I a Bad Mom podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christy Ritz-King. I'm a trauma therapist and a maternal mental health specialist, and perhaps most importantly, a mom of three. I've met many incredible women over the years in the various careers that I've had, and seemingly no matter where they are along their motherhood journey, they are powerful, they are brave, they are incredibly successful in their lives, and no matter what, they all ask the same question at least one time. And that question is, am I a bad mom because fill in the blank? <laughs> there are any number of blanks to fill in there. And this podcast aims to provide you all the reasons why the answer to that question is unequivocally no. Every single time the answer is no, you are not a bad mom. And we're here to show you today exactly why. So welcome. We can't wait to help you feel better about the parent that you are. Hello, and welcome back to Am I a Bad Mom podcast. Admittedly, this episode is a little self-indulgent. I just celebrated my 50th birthday, and I wanted to take a little bit of time to not so much share lessons, because sometimes I find that a little bit annoying when people are like, here's what I've learned in my 50 years. But really to talk about the energy I'm bringing into the next decade or more, hopefully, and the reasons behind some of that. My hope is that in sharing that, some of you are inspired to take a page out of my book <laughs> and treat yourself with a little more grace and love yourself a little bit more, because that's sort of where we're starting with this. So, you know, 50, there's so many things about it. There's Sally O'Malley. I'm dating myself just by referring to her. If you guys have seen Saturday Night Live skit with that character on it, she is just a sassy, you know, unabashedly proud woman that declares herself as 50 and fit and all of the things. And uh, to be honest, since I've sort of seen her, I've thought, oh, that's going to be my 50th birthday party invitation someday. I think I was probably in my teens, <laughs> maybe 20s when she first came out. But um, yeah, so that's sort of what I think of when I think of 50. And I think of, I don't have a ton of childhood memories when you have a loss like I did at such a young age, you very frequently have like a blackout period where you don't really remember a whole lot about being young, but I have a real distinct memory. And this may be from having seen a picture a million times, but I really don't think so. I think it's one of those things that I embodied at the time, but my mom, when she turned 50, so I was six when my mom, I wasn't yet six <laughs> when my mom turned 50 because I was, my birthday's right after hers. So she turned 50 and her friends threw her a surprise party. And I remember she was, I think the guys was that she was taken out on a date. If I'm not correct, I might be wrong. My sister might email me right after this episode and be like, no, I took her out, but whatever. My memory is that she was out with this gentleman who had recently been around and taking her out in his fancy sports car after my father died, years after my father died. And she came in and all of her friends were there and it was like a raucous good time. And they bought her a cane and they made all these like old lady jokes and they bought her this like, <laughs> my mother did not have a problem with drinking, so I want to make that clear, but they bought her this like 
as a joke, this like, we called it a pump jug of vodka. It was like a giant, like two foot tall smear. Not that's not true. Yeah, maybe actually it is two foot tall Smirnoff bottle that you could like pump the top and make a drink out of as a joke as like, okay, this is for the next 50 years of your life kind of thing. And I just remember it being funny and like laughing as she opened presents with her, like standing there with her opening presents. I can tell you to this day, I was wearing like a wool sweater and I was so, so hot, but I wanted to look so nice for her birthday that I kept it on the whole time. And just laughing at all the things. And I remember not really totally being sure why I was laughing. Like, why did they get my mom a cane? (laughs) She was, in my eyes, like this young mom. But they were all treating her as if, you know, welcome to. And I, I, I feel like most of her friends were a little bit older, at least. And so it was sort of this like, welcome to the club, lady. Now you're one of us. And, and I just remember being fun and like lively. And maybe for the first time since my dad died, again, I don't have great memories, but maybe for the first time since my dad died, like seeing my mom as this like vibrant person, because I always saw her as like strong and caring and not even ambitious, but organized and took care of us and all those things. But that night I got to see her like light and fun and adored. I mean, the people that were at this party were so clearly enamored with her that it was fun to be part of. And I have had that vision in my head of 50 since I was five. (laughs) And so coming into this decade for me has not been what you might expect because as women, we're told to, we're not supposed to get old and we're supposed to always look 25 and we're supposed to be fit and we're supposed to be lineless and we're supposed to be, and there've been all these advancements, if you want to call them that lately, that help you achieve that. I mean, I'm sitting here with dyed hair, so it's not like I'm not part of the the problem, but you know, we're told that aging is not something that we're supposed to do. And I really feel like women my age and older have been taking that back to some degree and also falling prey to the, let me pump myself full of stuff that I don't have lines and let me work myself to the bone so that like fit at the gym so that I don't ever have like an ounce of fat on my body. So it's like these mixed messages, which is not shocking anybody that's Gen X knows a thing or two about mixed messages from women for women by women and not from women uh, about who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to look. But I have, and then personally, you know, I spent my thirties raising kids. I don't, I, I had my first kid at 28. I had my last kid at 32. I lost my mom at 31. I moved. We did all these things in my thirties that were like huge transitions and huge losses and lots of grief. And then in my forties, I was like thriving for like three or four years. And then I got really sick (laughs) and it was this one typical. And again, most women will probably relate to this. It was something that nobody could identify. And so I spent years in pain and really struggling with a whole bunch of physical things that nobody could point to a reason for, or at least a definitive reason for that they knew how to treat. So I was then also doing all these different treatments and trying to figure things out and being worried the whole time that maybe I was dying. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't, I wasn't anywhere close to that. And I never got any kind of diagnosis that would suggest that, but I also never got any kind of diagnosis. I just would go and either be treated like, oh, you're crazy or, oh, we don't know what it is, but let's try this. Like we're sympathetic to you, but we don't really know what to do for you. So let's try this. And all the while gaining weight, gaining weight, because I wasn't 
fit. I wasn't capable of being fit anymore. I was exhausted. I was barely like just waking up and living. Remember, I was also finishing a master's and then a doctorate degree. So I was like pushing myself to the limits. Anyway, I digress. But all of this is to say my 30s were busy raising other people. My 40s were busy just trying to hang on, you know, hang on by the tips of my fingernails and also full of loss. You know, we lost, I lost some very close friends. I lost a sister. Like my 40s were not they were not all bad. Again, I got to raise these amazing kids and I got to get all these degrees and I, I did some wonderful things, but they were hard. <laughs> My 30s and 40s were hard. And so I came into 50s like, at first I came into 50s like, oh my God, I really am old now. Like I've spent my 40s feeling old and now I really am old. And then I kind of had this revelation of like, actually, no, I get to decide that <laughs> because if I look around I am really fortunate to have made some wonderful women friends who are older than me. Almost all of them, actually. All of my mom friends, again, because I was 28 when I had a kid. And then I moved to the New York metropolitan area where nobody even gets married until they're like 35 <laughs> or starts procreating until they're in their mid 30s. So it feels like anyway, obviously, that's a big, huge <laughs> overstatement. In my experience, I was three to seven to 10 years younger than a lot of my mom friends when I moved here and made friends. And so I've gotten to watch a lot of really incredible, vibrant women turn 50 and beyond and like not miss a beat. And going back to that little five-year-old girl who got to see my mom turn 50 and not really miss a beat, like she had a pretty <laughs> crappy 40s too, lost a husband, had to figure out how to take care of six kids, that kind of thing. Like hers was way worse than mine. And she had this 50th celebration. And then I watched my friends in current times turn 50 and beyond and just be these vibrant wonderful women. And so I came into this with a really like excited attitude about it. Not only did I have Sally O'Malley in the background kicking and punching and kicking her way into her 50s, but I had these women that in my real life I could point to and say, that doesn't look so bad. <laughs> and but so here are some things that I'm kind of bringing in the energy if you will that I'm bringing into my 50s. These sort of revelations that I had that help me to not erase the last two decades, but embrace and accept the last two decades for what they were and what I got out of them without regrets and move into a new decade doing things differently and then hopefully beyond. Hoping this isn't my last decade. <laughs> so rather than life lessons, here are th some things I realized and the energy I'm bringing into the next set of years that I have. And the first one is just very simply... I have enough. <laughs> I think the whole theme of this turning 50 might be enough. Because the first thing I realized is like, I have enough. I don't need, not only do I not need any more stuff, like I don't need any stuff. This Christmas just came and my husband was like, what do you want? And I, I said, I, please nothing. Like I want someone to come and help me clean out what we already have. And that attitude of things used to be a thing in my 30s and 40s that I had to really learn and understand and unpack because as a kid that grew up broke, I never like to say poor because we had a house and we had food and all of those things, but I was on the broke end of the community I grew up in. And as a kid who grows up like that, stuff can hold a lot more meaning even in those underneath layers than you realize. So I spent a good deal of my life chasing stuff. I wanted the nicest things in my house. I wanted the nicest shoes. I wanted the nicest handbags. I wanted the nicest clothes. I wanted the good car, blah, 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 blah. 
I didn't have money for that for most of my thirties and forties, but there was a time where I did come, we started like having a little bit more working a little bit more, having some more money. And I went a little crazy. And then I kind of put my head, picked my head up and realized like, Oh, none of these things actually make me feel accomplished or better. Or like I finally made it. I shouldn't say none. Let me be clear. There are a couple things I have that are things that are possessions that I absolutely love and am so happy to have been able to make the investment in. I have a handbag. <laughs> I have a blender. <laughs> and oh, and I have a, like a, a mixer that you use in the kitchen, which how much am I acting now like a 1950s housewife? But and I have a pair of shoes that I will probably never wear again in my lifetime, but I love having them. And you could probably guess the brands of all of those things. I have a handbag, a pair of shoes, and two kitchen appliances that really do every single time I touch, bring, wear, hold, look at, they bring me joy. They are the stuff of that little poor kid's dreams because I never would have imagined I could have afforded any of those things. And they're not outrageous, but they're expensive. They're just not like, you know, it's not like out of that catalog that some people get at Christmas that has like $40,000 cars in it. They're not that expensive, but they're expensive enough that it was a big deal when I got them. And I appreciate them too still. That said, there are a whole bunch of other things that I've bought over the years that haven't really done it for me. I thought like, ooh, I finally get to be able to have this thing, or I finally get to be able to buy this label, or I finally get to be able to, and it just didn't matter. And so now I realize I have enough. I have everything I need. And I have nice things when I want nice things. And I have not, I have things that I could buy on the cheap when I don't need them to be expensive. And also I can pass up a lot of stuff. I don't need a lot of things anymore. So I have enough. <laughs> that also goes to a couple other things. I have enough knowledge. Again, I spent my 40s as a student. I spent a lot of my 30s as a student too. I got one master's degree in my 30s. I got two advanced degrees in my 40s. I've spent a lot of time thinking that the answers are out there somewhere, out of my brain, out of my body, in a textbook, on a computer screen, coming from some quote unquote expert in the field. And while some of that's true, I did learn a tremendous amount about my own career. And I learned a tremendous amount about how to be good at what I do. And I learned a tremendous amount about a whole bunch of other things like how to be a doula and how to be a yoga teacher and how to be a mindfulness instructor and how to be, what else did I do? Oh, a holistic health coach. I learned a lot of things <laughs> over my 30s and 40s, mostly in my 40s. But I realized that this, I thought, oh, oh I'm just a perennial student. I'm going to be a student for the rest of my life. I'm a lifelong learner. That's what I thought. And while that is partially true, a lot of what I was doing was chasing this idea that if I just get all the things, all the knowledge, then I'll be confident doing what I do. Then I'll be good at doing what I do. Then I will be worthy of doing what I do. So I would get the certificate in holistic health coaching and feel like maybe I didn't know enough to actually be a holistic health coach. I would get the doula certification and look, I even went to a birth and felt like maybe I didn't really know enough to do that. I would go to this class and think, well, maybe I don't know enough. I got a master's degree in mental health counseling, worked in the field and went back and got a doctorate degree. And then throughout that process, by the way, have taken more trainings and hired more coaches and taken more classes than a human being should possibly ever do or take. 
all in the name of, well, if I just know this, then I'll feel better about doing it. If I just know this. And a lot of times it wasn't even my career. It was like, how do I market this? How do I write this? How do I build this website? How do I talk on social media? How do I host a podcast? All of these things that I thought, well, I don't know that somebody else must. And if I just learn it, then I'll feel better about doing it. And the truth is that sort of endless pursuit of outside knowledge was never going to make me feel like I knew enough. I had to tune into my own self and be like, oh, wait a minute, (laughs) you have the answers. And the way it kind of happened was going to all these things and finishing and realizing I actually don't know any more now than I did before I started, or I don't feel any more confident now than I did before I started. Even though I have this knowledge, I don't feel any better. It also took hearing some other folks in my profession be like, oh, I do that too. (laughs) Or anytime I'm feeling insecure about something in my office, I go and take a course. Like I'm not alone in this, I know. So I felt that made me feel a little bit better, I'll be honest. But I also came to the realization and some of it's turning 50 and some of it's just sort of having done this too much for my own good. I've come to this realization, like I actually do know enough. And that doesn't mean I'm never going to take a course. I'm actually currently enrolled in two different training courses. (laughs) And my husband joked, he said, you know, I thought you swore off classes. And I was like, look, I have to do continuing ed for my degree, for my license. They don't allow you to not study, which I think is the correct thing. And so if I'm going to have to do it, I might as well do stuff that I'm interested in learning. And so I am, I'm learning these new modalities to bring into my therapy office that are going to help, I hope that are going to help people move through their stuff a little faster and more efficiently. So knowing enough doesn't mean that I'm going to stop learning. It just means that I'm going to pause before I go looking for stuff elsewhere to see if I already have it in me. Do I know the things do I have the ability to do the things that I'm, you know, seeking from somebody else? And then finally, I have enough people. (laughs) And that sounds really cold hearted, like I got enough friends. But what I mean by that is I need to spend less time looking outside my life for new connections or new groups to be in or new whatever, and really cultivate the ones I already have. The funnest thing that happened, I know that's not a word, but it is right now. The funnest thing that happened on this birthday is that I have these girls, my girls, I call them my girls, they're three girls from high school. And we used to, before the pandemic, get together once a year, at least every year. Like we just made sure of it. They all still live close to each other. They probably see each other more than I do, but they made an effort every year, once a year to see me. And it's like the greatest weekend of my life every year. (laughs) And we were kind of, COVID sort of threw us off track and we've seen each other a little, but not much. And it's been like 24 hours and, you know, jammed into places and spaces that aren't fun this year. I was like, all I want for my 50th birthday is time with them. And so it's not going to happen anytime soon, but we made it happen. And it was this very kind of decisive. One of them threw out a few dates and I was like, okay, I can get hotels for this date. Does it work? Like we just got very decisive about it. And now it's pushing me through the next few months. I'm so excited about the prospect of this. And I have a, you know, my literal best childhood friend, I'm also going to get to spend some time with for my birthday. And I realized like, I've known these people one since I was seven (laughs) and one since, you know, and the other three, since I was 13. And so I didn't have to go anywhere else to find them. I had to make an effort to cultivate what I already have. So again, it's not that I like have enough people and I never need to meet a new person again. It's more that I need to spend some time focusing on what I already have instead of looking elsewhere for folks. So that's the, I have enough. The other one is I am enough. And we throw that out there a lot. I think we say that a lot. It comes up in my therapy office all the time. I am enough. 
But I truly believe what has happened for me recently is that I believe that. <sighs> Finally. It's only taken 50 years, <laughs> but I finally believe that I am enough currently as is right here, right now. And that means at this age, for my children, at my job, in this body that I'm in, no matter what it looks like, no matter how much more weight I'm carrying around than I want, no matter how my jeans fit, no matter how creaky my bones are, <laughs> no matter how many different muscle pulls I have at any given time, it's still enough. And I'm enough for me. So all of those things are kind of go together and maybe sort of culminate in that I'm enough for me. And they kind of have to do with that knowledge piece of like constantly going outside, seeking answers somewhere else rather than tuning into what I already know. And I think social media has perpetuated this, but I already had it. And I think we all have it. It's a thing that we all have, this comparison gene, if you will, this like compulsion to say, oh, I don't have that thing, or I don't look like that, or I'm not having as much fun as that. And so I must not be enough or have enough or do enough or be it or plan enough. I realized it was happening to me. I heard other people talk about it. Oh, I got to get off social media. The comparison's killing me. I got to do it. And I heard that and I respected it. And I was like, you're absolutely right. And then I realized, again, approaching my fifties, I was like, oh, I'm doing it too. I'm seeing other content creators, other podcasters, other therapists, other mothers doing things that I'm not doing or I don't think I'm doing well in. And I think I should just quit or I should just obviously I'm not doing this right or I'm not doing it enough or I'm not whatever. When the truth is, I never even checked in with my own self to see, are you okay with what you're doing? I have this the case in point. I have a thriving private practice. Like I have a wait list of people. I don't have enough time. I keep coming up with new programs to try to get more people in the door. What I don't have is a group practice. I haven't opened a group practice. I haven't brought in other practitioners. I haven't opened my practice up to other people. And that's a hundred percent by choice. I don't want to do that. That feels like being the principal of a school if you love working with kids. I love being a therapist. I love working in my office with clients, either in a group or individually. I don't want to get rid of that. I don't want to lose that. And I have seen people who open group practices, they lose that. They lose that personal touch. They get involved in the mechanics of the office. They get involved in the back end, the business side of running a group practice, and they lose the client contact. So I don't want to do that. And yet, every time I see something where someone else has a group practice or someone else calls themselves a group practitioner or someone else, whatever, I would start to feel like I wasn't enough. I would start to think you're doing it wrong because you're not doing what they're doing. That's the next step. That's the growth. That's the process. And you're not doing it. And so even though I didn't want to, I thought there was something wrong with me because I wasn't the same as this other person or these other people who are running group practices. I wasn't successful like them. I was judging my own happiness and my own success completely in comparison with other people I would see online. Not even in person, by the way, simply online. <laughs> I talked to people in person and we all the same and felt the same. And yet somehow I would see these other people online, like in different states and different, or I'd be in like networking groups with them and think that I needed what they had. And so I've come to that conclusion that like, 
when I find myself doing that, because let me be very clear. I say all these things that I've all these revelations I've had. Please don't think that I'm suddenly like immune to any of these things. But I have the awareness now to know when I find myself doing that, starting to compare, starting to feel bad about me because I don't look like them. I'm not doing it like them. I'm able to check that and say, okay, hold on. Are you happy? (laughs) Are you content? Are you satisfied with what you're doing? Let's talk about body image because that was part of it, right? I'm enough in this body. I've talked about in my 40s how I just got fat. Let me, I mean, to not to put too fine a point on it, but I was fat. And really what was bothering me was I'm out of shape. I am an athlete. I've always been an, a built like an athlete. I'm a bigger, stronger, big chested lady. <laughs> Let's not beat around the bush. I have never been small, but I've always been strong and I've always been in shape. And I've mostly always had a flat tummy, if I'm being honest. Like that's the part that got me is that even when I gained weight and lost weight and gained weight, which happened all through my 30s and 40s, I maintained a look that nobody really knew how much I had gained or lost but me. And I have passed that threshold now. I do not have the capacity. I did not have the capacity to exercise the way I once did. And so I just got large and out of shape and flabby and soft and not strong anymore. And that to me was like devastating. But what I found myself doing was the same thing we all sort of are accused of doing or probably do, which is comparing myself to everybody else. So even on days where I would feel pretty good and like I finally got out to go for a walk or I ran 10 steps on a treadmill or got to the gym or whatever, I would then look at myself in a mirror and compare it to all these other fitness people that I see on the internet and, or even just around me at the gym and want to go home and cry. And again, it was that I'm not even paying attention to how I feel. I'm looking at everybody else and thinking I'm not doing it right. Cause I don't look like them. So the I'm enough piece in this body means it's still alive. <laughs> it's still working. It is not working against me so far. Yes, I have some pains and aches and pains here and there. I have taken care of some of the bigger problems with removing parts of myself. And it's still working. It's still here. It's still alive. It's still got a whole lot of juice left in it. And I need to treat it better than I was before. And that's a different mindset than I need to lose weight. I need to exercise more. I need to get back to where I was. I now have this like, actually, I don't need to do anything. My body is fine. I take good care of it. I do what I can. I've gone from this like frenetic feeling of I have to, where it just led to like a shame spiral to I want to feel good in this body that I've been given. I want to feel good. And sometimes that means looking good. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. Like sometimes I want to look good in my clothes and that might require something. But if it requires something that I hate, I'm not doing it. But if it requires like taking the dog for a walk every day, okay, because I want to do that. So I'm going to do that. And if walking the dog every day and eating, you know, being more mindful of what I'm putting in my mouth, I'm just going to like broadly say that if doing those two things means I look differently in my clothes and that's better. Awesome. If looking differently in my clothes means I have to go to the gym seven days a week and run for six miles and do it. I'm not doing that (laughs) because that hurts and doesn't help and whatever. So I've just come to this realization that like, I want to feel good. And I'm very grateful that this body is in full working condition right now. That not everybody has that. 
And so I'm taking those two things and realizing I have, I am enough. I'm enough just as I am. And that includes making decisions to do things a certain way. So I have enough. I am enough. And then finally, the last one is I've done enough. (laughs) And again, this all sounds very final. Like I'm not doing anymore. And that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I have actively participated in so many things that I don't need to actively participate in anymore. I don't need to join all the committees. (laughs) I don't need to be part of all of the movements. I don't need to monitor my kids every step of the way. I never really did that, but the way that I did it, I don't even need to do that anymore. I don't need to analyze and worry about and question my partner. I don't need to do very much anymore. I need to take care of myself, take care of my house, take care of my pets, take care of my kids in the way that they need them to be taken care of the ages that they're at. I need to go to work. (laughs) I need to take care of my clients, but I don't need to prove anything by doing. I'm not gaining anything by doing. And so I can assume everyone around me is doing their best and I don't need to figure them out anymore. And I can only change my own expectations. I can't change anyone around me. I can't change our relationship. I can change my expectations for what that relationship will be. And I can set my boundaries. And after that, I got to let it all go. So I'm not joining everything. I'm not looking for approval. I'm not looking for affirmation outside because I'm enough. I have enough. I've done enough. If I want to, again, don't get me wrong. Don't mistake any of this for I'm not, you know, I'm sitting around reading books all day. I'm still on a bunch of committees. I still volunteer for things. Whereas I used to do all those things because I wanted other people to feel like I was good and I was doing and I was participating and I was a member of the team and all of those things. Now I choose the things I believe in to pursue. I choose where I put my energy. I choose where I put my money. I choose where I put my time. Instead of, I'm going to do this because there's nobody else to do it. (laughs) Or I'm going to do this because I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Or I'm going to do this because so-and-so will think I'm better if I do. Or so-and-so will think I'm a jerk if I don't. I'm done with that stuff. I've done enough of that. (laughs) It's sort of like when you're in the elementary school and you're a really active parent in like kindergarten, first and second, and then you get to like third, fourth and fifth, and you're like, it's somebody else's job now. I don't want to do this anymore. I kind of feel that way broadly, you know, gestures broadly about life. I have done enough. And when it comes to my kids, I have done enough at, at every individual age. So I am learning what enough is when you have young adults in your home or out of your home. <laughs> they're never out of your life, but they're in your home or they're out of your home. And I'm learning, well, what is that? What are my What is my role here? And how do I pull back enough to be supportive? And stay involved enough to be supportive. I want to support them. I don't need any more to guide or to maneuver or to pave the way. I don't need to do any of that anymore. I just need to support. And I'm learning what that is. I don't know yet. I'm learning as we go. But what I do know is I have done the active part enough. Now, I still have one in my house full time. And so I'm still making sure we're signed up for SATs and helping make lunches. That's a thing that I like to do and sort of staying on top of where he is and what he's doing and who he's hanging out with. But the other two, no, I'm not doing that with them anymore. And even with the youngest, I have to learn, okay, he's out and I can't know where that is. (laughs) 
as long as he's home by the time he's supposed to be home. I'm learning those letting go processes. And let me tell you, it's not the same thing with your last as it is with your first. I am fighting myself more to let go of him than I did the other two. So I'm learning that, but I'm okay with it. I'm not mad at myself about it. I'm not trying to overdo. I'm not trying to manipulate or or hold him too close or any of those things. I am buying all the dogs, (laughs) but look, we all cope in our own ways. And if I need three puppies to replace my three kids, then, you know, more power to me, I say. But I'm learning that I've done enough and I can let go of a lot of the things that I thought I needed to control in my 30s and 40s. Here's the beautiful part about all this. Sally O'Malley, with all of her fierce energy, is awesome. And I hope to embody that in some way. But I also hope and really feel right now like my mom that night of the surprise party, where she was just taking in all of the love that was around her and laughing. And she just really, my memory is that she just really seemed at peace in whatever was going on at the moment. And I know that wasn't true every single day of her life, but I hope that energy of just being good with what is happening and good with yourself and recognizing how lucky you are to be surrounded by people who care about you and love you and do for you. That's the energy I want to bring into my 50s. So I want experiences. I want to embrace the joy. I want to be surrounded by the people I love. And I want to do things for those same people. I want to cultivate those relationships even more in my 50s and beyond. So there you go. That's what I have for you in this new decade of Christy Ritz King. I don't know if you learned anything from it, but I hope you heard something that at least inspired you to maybe give yourself a little more grace or don't be so hard on yourself or recognize that all of the stuff you're doing is growth and there is peace at the other end of it. All right. Stay tuned for what I'm noticing in girl time this week. We'll be back. Hey, listener. If you appreciate what you get here as far as support and camaraderie and feeling like you're not alone, then I think you should really check out the Women of Wonder community that I run. It is exactly that. It is a community full of support and camaraderie and you are not aloneness. It is meant to replace the old fashioned Facebook groups that we used to love before it got so mean and snarky and Facebooky. It is a place where you can ask the questions you have, where you can share the joys and share the sorrows and expect a supportive response, non-judgmental response. We meet weekly via Zoom. So we have people from all over the world that come and join us. And there are other supports like newsletters and uh, message boards and all of the things that you can and want and need in your life to provide you that support and scaffolding to help do this job we call motherhood. Check it out on my website, wonderinkwellness.com. It's called the Women of Wonder Community. And you can sign up today and get two months free if you do a year subscription. If you have any questions, again, always send me an email, but I would love to see you inside. So today's me time is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to give you some suggestions at the end. But I also want to read something that I wrote that is probably going to be part of my newsletter, Love Notes. If you aren't subscribed to those, you can subscribe on my website to the Love Notes list and get these in your email inbox every week. But they're essentially just essays. They're, you know, kind of hearkening back to old school blogger days. And then I put some resources at the end always because I'm 
constantly trying to give people things they need. I wrote this when I was thinking about what to say on the podcast about my 50th birthday. And it's a little explicit. So if you have kids in the car, explain that F words are for grownups. And it's just really like musings. Uh, and I wanted to share it. So here's me time for this week. I will follow with some fun indulgences at the end. But for now, a little essay from me. I spent all of my 40s waiting to not give a fuck. It never happened. I gave more fucks than I even knew I had. Some of that was the world around me. I lived through and had to ra raise kids in natural disasters, through dictator presidents, through global pandemics. And on a more personal note, my latter years were filled with health challenges and a lot of really difficult loss of family and friends. There was no aha moment or reckoning within which I lost all the fucks. Instead, shocking, I know, if you know me at all, I made an intentional decision to tune in and examine why the why behind my thoughts and behaviors. I decided to check in to see what I would rather do and then do the work to heal and change so that I could do it. So now, in anticipation of the next decade, I'm doing some stuff. I'm heavy on the grace. I'm done beating myself down for missteps. I'm dialing back, ignoring my accomplishments in the name of humility. The truth is, I have never been too big for my britches, no matter how many times I heard it growing up. Shrinking and pretending I'm not all that doesn't serve anyone, especially the people I most want to serve. I definitely don't have it all figured out. I'm going to mess up all the time. See the aforementioned promise of grace. And I also do know some stuff. I have done some stuff and I'm quite capable of doing more. I'm going to start owning that. I'm dropping the bags that aren't mine to carry. My mother's trauma, my health-related weight gain, all the financial missteps of the past. Instead, I'm going to trade all that baggage for the luggage that is part of the life I've built. Luggage that's full of hope and wonder and love. That's all I'm carrying forward. I'm going to dream and I'm going to plan for the future. I never saw past the age of 25 because of all the loss I had in my young life. I never looked ahead because I was afraid of what might be there or afraid of the inevitable pain that comes when you lose it all. We joke about the cat not being on my vision board for 2022 because I just had no concept of how long cats lived when I got that cat almost 20 years ago. We also joke about my not thinking my marriage would last until I was 49. And not because I wasn't madly in love with my husband, but because I didn't quite understand life past 30. Both of those things are funny and true, but they didn't mean that I didn't plan well. They did mean that I was robbed of some of the joy that was right in front of me. Preparing for the worst isn't in my best interest. Instead, I'll just make room for the possibility of the best. I'll finally love myself. I have so much fucking love for everyone else. I pour it out endlessly. I want the best for them. I celebrate the good for them. And I weep when there is bad for them. I love other people so much that I fear there won't be enough of my heart for everyone who's in it. But it's time for turning that love inward. I'll consider myself, my joy, and my comfort. Maybe not first on the list, but on there every time. I challenge you to do the same. 
whether you're 50 or 30 or 75, put yourself on the list every time. All right, well, let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> that was a little self-indulgent essay reading for you. If you want more of that, you need to sign up for my love notes list because that's the kind of stuff you get. You get essays. Sometimes you get some professional opinion. Sometimes you get resources. But really what you get is that love pouring out to you through your email. All right, here's what I'm noticing this week in my girl time segment for fun and totally frivolous and indulging stuff. First, if you're looking, oh, you can't really see it. I have to do what those like influencers do and, and show you this. It's a hand lotion called Lavish by the company Ever Skin. They're like a network marketing company. I know at MLM, I know that's a bad name, but they really make beautiful products for skincare. Through, if you've ever heard of the company Stella and Dot Jewelry, they were affiliated with them at one point. They're not really affiliated anymore, but they started by the same woman. Anyway, back to the hand cream. So in the wintertime in the Northeast, really anywhere, I think even if I live somewhere else, anytime there's like a change in seasonal weather, my hands crack and get so dry that they hurt a lot of the times. But I also don't love the feeling of like heavy, really emollient lotion on my skin, especially under if it gets under jewelry, it can sometimes bother me. This is not that way. It is heavy and emollient and at first feels like, oh no, I'm going to hate this. It soaks in really quickly. I'm going to put it on right now. It soaks in really quickly that you don't feel like greasy afterward, but it really helps with dry skin. So that's Ever Lavish Lotion. I can put links in the show notes so you guys can know where to get all this stuff. The other thing that I'm really <laughs> enjoying right now is this, and I get it at a store called World Market. But I think they have it at like some like different grocery stores and stuff. Well, I think it's Wiley, Wallaby. They're old fashioned like Twizzlers, but less like fake sweet and more regular sweet. Again, if you're talking about a 50 year old diet, this is probably not on it. <laughs> but it just is like one of them. They're like little shorties. And one of them is enough to just satisfy my sweet tooth. I don't eat them a lot, but they're in my cabinet. I've had that bag for like two months. So that'll tell you how much I eat it. My kids brought them home one time and I'm not usually a sweets person. If I'm going to indulge, it's going to be chocolate. But my kids brought them home and I was like, these were delicious. And they're like just that nice little pop of, if you want something different, you know, then you don't want to indulge too much, but you want something a little sweet. They're perfect for that. Okay. Oh, other two things. One is the New York Times Connections. I'm sure you've heard of it. It's like the wordle of whatever year that was. It's like the wordle of 2023, 24. And it's like categorizing words. It's just a little game, a puzzle you can play on your phone. You can get it on the free version of the New York Times app, games app. But also if you have a New York Times subscription, you can get that and a bunch of other things. It started, my youngest was doing the mini crossword puzzle and sending his results all the time. And he does the mini crossword puzzle freakishly fast. And so we were, I then started to be like, I got to figure this out. So I started doing the mini and then inside that same app is connections. And I was really good at those. And so we kind of have this fun little competition going where we send each other our scores and then we like joke about, and then the whole family got involved. <laughs> and now we joke about, you know, the one, if it's bad, if we feel like the categories were stupid, if we feel like it was too easy, like we have a whole back and forth about it and it's quite fun. But I also feel like as somebody who is aging, it's probably good for my brain to kind of use it this way too, you know, in these puzzling, problem-solving manners. And it takes minutes in the morning. So now that I have this puppy that wakes me up at the crack of dawn, I have some extra time in the morning and 
while after he's fed and out and done all his things and is just sitting and like chewing on a chew toy, but refusing to let me out of his sight, I can sit and have a cup of coffee and play the New York Times. I kind of do the trifecta. I do the wordle and the connections and the mini, but we really, I love the connections. It's a fun thing. There's also one that you can like, it's called tiles, I think, which I used to love, but they repeat the same puzzle too much. So start that one if you want, but just beware that you're going to end up seeing some repeats after a while. It's like the old memory game, except nothing is flipped over. It's, you can see everything. You just have to match to like, and they're, you know, they're a little tricky. So it's almost like when you were a little kid and you had that highlights puzzle and had to find like hidden things in the picture combined with the memory game where you have to match pairs. It's fun. It's just that they repeat puzzles a lot. And so you see the same thing a lot. Anyway, those are my fun New York Times things for you. And then finally, there is a podcast right now. And I know it's funny to send you away from this podcast, but it's completely different. First of all, it's three stand-up comedians. So that'll tell you how different it is. It is called The Handsome Podcast. And it is Tignataro, May, I can't think of May's last name. She's another stand-up comic. They're another, they are another stand-up comic. And Fortune Feimster, who is from the Mindy Project, is what I know her from. But also, they're all three stand-ups. Tig, everybody knows. The other two, you should know if you don't know them already. But I'm recommending this for you if you like, if you have fond memories of sitting around with your girlfriends and just cracking up laughing at, like, foolishness. Because I don't even know the true meaning of the podcast. I think it's supposed to be a celebrity asks them a question and they're supposed to kind of talk about their answers to that question. But it's honestly just 30 to 40 minutes of them (laughs) bullshitting. (laughs) And it's hilariously funny. And it is such a nice relief. Like I listen to it as if it's therapy for the week because I just giggle like I would if I was with my high school girlfriends. That kind of belly laughing (laughs) over nothing. It's great fun. If you don't love that kind of banter and foolishness and like talking over each other to bring back old jokes and like that kind of stuff, it's very specific. So you might hate it. But I don't know. I feel like if you're listening to this, we might have similar tastes in that kind of stuff. And so give it a shot because I feel like you might like it. It's called Handsome Podcast. It might be The Handsome Podcast. And it's all three of them, I think, but definitely you'll see Tignataro and they're like in suits holding like cocktail glasses of bourbon. (laughs) It's just awesome. It's so funny. So those are what I've got for you this week. Zero things that will like expand your mind, except maybe the New York Times puzzles. Mostly it's just indulgent and take care of yourself deliciousness to celebrate 50 years on this planet. So enjoy them. Enjoy the meantime. And if you liked what you heard at the beginning of this, sign up for love notes on the wonderinkwellness.com website. Okay. As always, thank you for listening. And if you have a second, we would really love if you could rate or review us just so more people get to know who we are. Thanks and take care. Until next time, remember, anytime you find yourself asking the question, am I a bad mom? The answer is always no. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you heard something today that made you feel better about your parenting and about yourself. Remember, if you have a moment, we would love a review. It helps more people to hear about us. If you like the episode, share it with your friends. And of course, subscribe so that you know when it's going to drop every single week. Thanks again. Until next time, keep asking those same questions and know that the answer to am I a bad mom is always no. 